0: All right, welcome to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour, first edition, not on the radio and possibly more than an hour, but we're here to talk football on Twitch and then archived for various purposes in various places to be determined. So I'd like to welcome all of our Twitch viewers to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Uh, We're going to be doing this every Thursday from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock Eastern Time, and my guest today, you know them from Football Outsiders. Scott Spratt, our fantasy expert, is here. Mike Tanner is here, draft expert, did all those grades for all the picks from rounds one through three uh, last Thursday. So we're going to be reviewing the draft, talking about who had a good draft, who had a bad draft, going through the whole thing, uh, all seven rounds. I mean, not round by round, because that would be boring. Uh, But just talking about which teams did well and which teams did badly. And uh, I'm apparently muted. Oh, hi. I apparently had muted myself, which is bad. And now you can hear me. Everybody can hear me. Well, everybody heard me out on um, everybody heard me on Twitch, but not on Zoom. That was the uh, complication. But here we are on Zoom now. And here my guests are. Scott, say hello.
1: How's it going, Aaron?
2: Mike, say hello. Great to be here. Always a few technical difficulties as we try to figure out this new technology that has existed for about 16 years. Oh, Here's brave. Three,
1: three old guys using social media. This brave, will just beginning.
2: Brave
0: new world that has such social media in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the draft. Uh, Mike, what do you have a particular team that stands out to you? As having had a really good draft or a really bad draft, using the whole thing, not just we did the first uh, we did the first round uh, on our big show last Thursday night, but talking about the whole draft.
2: At the risk of giving a really obvious answer, I, I'm as excited about the Bears and everything they did, you know, even going beyond uh, you know getting their quarterback as I think a lot of people are along the way. And in later rounds, I got more and more enthusiastic about what the Giants were doing. In fact, you know I. I sent some emails out. It's like, well, what's the Giants' projection? What's the Giants' projection after this draft? And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. They're still the Giants. But they're the Giants now with a good draft class. That was, And, and that's a good thing. Um, and I think we talked on Thursday night about the Saints. I'm still wondering what the Saints are doing, what the Saints' plan is, if the Saints are in denial about the fact that, um, you know, not only is Drew Brees retired, but all of their defense would be like us trying to unmute things on Twitch here with our gray beards. I think the youngest guy on their defense is Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, And they went out there through the entire draft and they got a bunch of project defensive players. And then they threw Ian book in as like, Oh, here, here's a quarterback that can sit between uh, Jameis and and Taysom Hill and kind of bring in like sort of the worst of both of them.
0: The reviews on Ian book are really bad. Like (laughs) everybody out there who does draft analysis hated that pick and thought he was taken way, way, way too early.
2: Uh, yeah, I I, I was kind of sanguine about him in that I had him in the, my mind as the sixth round guy who has a little bit of that taste on hill in him. Where if you have him running around in the fourth quarter of the preseason game, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, well, we could do something. Like, he can be the pepper pot to win a game or two. But uh but like the overall skill set is this guy's never gonna be a starter. This guy so so if you're getting him because you, you want to back up Lamar Jackson or something like that, I can see that. If the idea is well, here's our insurance policy. Yeah, your insurance policy is you got a weaker T from Hill to back up Taysom Hill with Jamis in there doing whatever. So that was that was a weird pick for a team that, like pick after pick, seemed to be acting like, hey, everything's fine. We're 13 and three as usual, and we're gonna do what we always do.
0: Yeah, that Peyton Turner pick in the first round, you know, we all attacked the Raiders for taking Alex Leatherwood way earlier than conventional wisdom suggested. But the Saints did the same thing. Peyton Turner was not really projected to go in the top 50 by anybody. Uh, We had forgotten to even do a Saksier projection on him for our edge rusher projections because his Mm -hmm. pro day came so late and he wasn't really considered a top pick. So we just sort of forgot to put him in the article.
1: Um, (laughs) I mean, I think there was a thought leading into the draft that there was going to be a little bit more volatility than usual given the opt-outs and everything else going on, but... Mike, I don't actually think that played out by and large, right? So is that why these sort of oddball picks sort of stand out?
2: I think there is a degree to that. I think that there was like a variety of discrepancies. It looked like some teams were grabbing guys that they saw play 8, 9, 10 games, even if they were second tier guys, uh, or that they saw in the senior bowl. Like we saw him in the senior bowl. He's in shape. We interview him. He seems like a good guy. Let's roll. Some teams were doing that. Then we had other teams that yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure Urban Meyer was just drafting off of his recruiting uh, wish list <laughs> three or four years ago. So so you can't so you can't like say oh the NFL did this the NFL did that. I think on a team that team paces uh, teams did that. But uh, Peyton Turner, you know when when I do when I do my prep I'll do like the edge rushers and then I'll do the defensive tackles and then like I gotta make sure that I I, I grab the actual defensive ends. Like the guys who are just like a defensive end, the, the, the one who's going to uh, turn out to be, you know, your sort of your, your Trey Flowers type of guy who's like, oh, he can line up all over the place. He's not just wide nine going in there. And and, and I think Peyton Turner was in that list. So I, so I did my prep on him and I looked at him and it's like, oh, Toolsy Tracy, Tracy McToolsy guy, you, you know, out there being really tall, being really elongated. And these are guys that teams that are 12 and four, 13 and three, they always grab it. because, like, oh, yeah, we can. We can put them on the bench and run, gain 25 pounds or teach them this technique, that technique. That's not who the Saints are now. I know I was looking at the projections are coming out. It looks like we still have a good projection on the Saints. They don't look to me like the team that can say, oh, we can, we can fool around on this track.
0: Yeah, just to give people a little bit of a preview, we're working on the initial projections for Football Outsiders Almanac, and they love the Saints defense. Love, love, love the Saints defense. So mm-hmm. we end up, if projecting Winston as the starter at quarterback, we end up still projecting the Saints as a playoff team. I think if I used Taysom Hill as the quarterback, uh, we would not be projecting the Saints as a playoff team. And I have no idea what's going through Sean Payton's mind. I don't know which <laughs> quarterback. I don't know whether he wants to continue to fuss around with Taysom Hill or whether he's going to go with the quarterback who, listen, I knew he threw a lot of interceptions two years ago. But Jameis Winston is a, is a professional National Football League quarterback who can throw the ball down the field. Like, I don't think there's any question. If you want to ask, how does New Orleans make the playoffs this year? It starts with starting Jameis Winston at quarterback instead of Taysom Hill.
1: I mean, not to be flippant, but didn't Jameis turn a top-five DVA defense in the Buccaneers into a non-playoff team, and then the, then Brady inherits that team and takes them to the Super Bowl the yeah, next year? Yeah, that's,
0: that's true. They just may not have a
1: great option, honestly.
0: But it's just interceptions are so inconsistent from year to year. I just That's don't think Winston throws thirty of them again, right? I mean, it's more likely that he goes back to what he did every other year except 2019 and throws like 16 of them, which is not good <laughs> but not terrible. And well, at I least think there's he can probably the a, ball downfield, unlike Taysom Hill.
1: There has to be a hope that Sean Payton would be able to work with him and maybe hide some of the weaknesses. I mean, he's basically gotten a lot out of guys like Drew Brees that maybe weren't considered to be the top of their tier prospects with obvious limitations. And I'm guessing that probably relates to the Ian Book selection as well, is maybe he has a little bit better chance with that coaching staff than he would have in your generic NFL team that drafted him.
0: Yeah, but still, if you can wait to take a guy in the seventh round, you wait to take him in the seventh round,
2: you know? Yeah, you're absolutely These right. These guys drafted Garrett Gleason a couple of years ago very, very mm. high. So they they kind of like what they like there. Uh, I mean, Scott, you would know the the supporting cast uh, better than anybody, I guess, in New Orleans. After Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, guess what? Hmm. It's like the number three option would normally be, I think, Jason Hill is your slot guy or is your whatever Waiting guy. for if the
0: Traquan Smith breakout that we've been waiting uh, for for three years.
1: Marques Calloway, maybe. I mean, there's guys with potential, but you're right. that The offense isn't exactly like, I don't know. It's the not the fact
2: <laughs> Who is a tight end? Uh, oh, Nick, I see Nick Vada. Uh, Adam Troutman, who I, I like. But you know what? We all like the small school tight end. Everyone loves a small school tight end. They're delightful. Uh, and and then they wind up being Dallas Goddard or whatever, and they're a good, decent number two tight end. Uh, the, the guys that, that, uh, at Football Guys, do well, well, they say the the law of, uh, of rational coaching. The law of rational coaching says that Jameis, of course, will win the starting job. Well, the law of rational coaching said that Jameis would be the backup last year when, when, when Drew Brees was hurt and Taysom was the backup. So I, I will believe the law of rational coaching when I see that Sean Payton is going to be rational about the fact that Drew Brees is gone.
0: Right. I mean, I guess there's doing initial projections, I had to ask myself, who's going to start in Houston and who's going to start in <coughs> New Orleans? Mm. And I went with the downside in Houston and the upside in New Orleans, but maybe it's going to end up being the uh, downside in New Orleans. I don't think it's going to end up being the upside in Houston.
2: I don't think there is an upside in Houston right now.
0: That's another draft uh, that everybody hated, by the way.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't blame them. I was actually looking at the at the draft report cards on Football Outsiders. Uh, who was that? Kiel Clinton did for, uh, for us.
0: Yeah, doing our, our annual compilation of everybody else's report cards. And Houston was by far the most hated draft by
2: everybody. that starts with of course they don't have any draft picks so if if i'm doing grades a lot of times i look at and say okay we're not going to just keep failing you for these horrible trades a a regime ago although you know maybe that's justified to a degree but what do you do with it now and 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 it was the kobayashi maru it's like what do you do for like you have to you have to get some kind of solution at quarterback and once you take care of that sort of solution at quarterback in cases the Sean watson situation looks like it's going to happen then you can't do anything else because you traded all the draft capital. So, you know, I I see a big F there. I see like a a lot of C's and D's in the grades and and, and it makes perfect sense, but it's, it's a hopeless cause situation down there. I'll tell you from my personal standpoint, it's been, I do not want to talk about that team. I don't want to, like, I want to, I want to quietly ignore that team. And I think probably a lot of us do until we know more about what's going on, because right now it's just, it's an embarrassment on on levels that like we don't even want to address.
0: Yeah. Cochlea points out in the comments that hopefully Houston doesn't add the Chargers medical staff because then that would be <laughs> the worst of both worlds. I think the problem with Houston is I don't diss on them for the quarterback that they took in the third round, taking Davis Mills third round, Obviously, there's a lot of questions around the positions. He was a guy most people thought would go around third round fine. right? Uh, I guess top of fourth, not third, late third, or top of fourth, top of third. Anyway, the turn. problem was that they kept trading their picks away to take other guys. They traded two other picks to move 20 spots for Nico Collins, a wide receiver that nobody thought was like super falling or anything. Oh, And then they traded another two picks to move up to 170 to take a linebacker named Garrett Willow in the fifth round. And if you think (laughs) about like one of the precepts of analytics is we know less than we think we do about which college prospects are going to succeed in the NFL, right? I'm not going to go as far as to say that no one knows anything and the draft is completely random. But certainly I think one of the analytics precepts is We know less than we think we do. We're not as smart as we think we are. And that suggests don't trade away extra picks to move up for guys except for quarterbacks. Right. And the fact that this is a team that has holes all over the roster and they traded away picks that they need to build that roster because they really feel like these guys are the guys. But the odds that Nico Collins is going to be a star are no better than any other third-round wide receiver. And they're not that much better than whatever wide receiver they would have taken 20 picks later. And they gave up a couple more bites at the apple in order to get him. That's what I don't like about Houston's draft. It's not just that they had no picks. Seattle came in with three and used three. Houston came in with, like, eight and used four, five,
2: used five. And I, I don't like Collins that much as a prospect. I think I commented on Football Outsiders. It's like I've seen the Michigan, the big Michigan receiver before. I've seen them before, and they and they, and they wind up being, you know, Devin Funchess or whatever. You know, you don't want to you don't want a program scout or whatever. But like here he comes. He you know he's a big body. He was a great uh, uh, a great recruit coming out. Oh, he looks like he's got pretty good footwork. He's not particularly fast. He doesn't have good production. And now I'm looking at the depth chart, Scott. You can speak to this. Maybe they have about. 30 he's just they're adding him to a depth chart with like 25 free agent acquisitions and a couple of incumbents here i don't see even why they why they would have prioritized nico collins there
1: Well, see like that's actually the reason why i don't like the davis mills draft pick and i'm not going to pretend like i can evaluate these quarterbacks at all but this team in my mind is either going to have the sean watson or they're going to have one of the top two or three picks in next year's draft right what does mills have to do for the team not to draft the top quarterback prospect in next year's draft. Like I feel like they may be throwing that pick away because it's so obvious that they're going to have to readdress the position again next season.
0: That's true because in order for Davis Mills, Watson, we have to have Watson not come back. We have to have Tyrod Taylor be so bad that they give Mills like over half a year starting and then Mills has to be so good that you're not going to take the top quarterback prospect in next year's draft. It's yeah. really unlikely.
1: They should I mean, have been if he, good. I was, if he does what Justin Herbert did last year, then okay. But like, you know, Herbert was the number what, six pick in the draft. Yeah, it's yeah, not exactly apples and apples.
2: No, no, that's not it. They should have been the moment that the Bears got a quarterback, they should have been on the phone Nick Foles, get us Nick Foles. He can come in, do the all routine and everything if, if chaos is ensuing on the other side of things we'll stink we'll spend the money on stinking uh but we'll have a guy who during the press conferences won't melt down etc like... and 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 that would be fine maybe they did maybe maybe nick cesario did that and jackie used to was burning incense and and, and you know doing stuff. i feel
0: like so, tyrod really... taylor is already that guy they don't need nick Foles to be yeah. that guy because tyrod taylor is already the guy that you can respectably lose with
2: yeah yeah uh, you, the, fa- the there's a face of the franchise on thing you have to put into play when you're talking about Houston with the Watson situation, et cetera. So, so uh, having Opie out there might've, might've been something useful. to
0: them. Yeah, that's true. You talked about drafts. You like, let's go back to drafts. You like, so Chicago, the only downside I think of the Chicago draft, like everybody feels the move for Justin Fields was the best move that any team made in the entire draft. And I am not going to disagree with that. I think the only problem I have is because of the guys they traded away, the picks they traded away to do fields and Tevin Jenkins in the second round, they only had the two picks in the top 150. So the last couple picks yeah. they have are really throwaway, random chance guys. And there's, there are a lot of people out there who do analysis. Like, again, this is with the caveat that none of us really knows as much as we think we do right now. You know, right. that's why draft grades end up in the long run, turning out not to mean anything like Benjamin Robinson did that research for us last year about do draft grades mean anything. But that being said, the people who do this analysis don't think Tevin Jenkins is a left tackle right away. And the bears went out and cut Charles Leno and they're going to give this second rounder the left tackle job right away.
2: Right. I kind of like Daz Newsome, one of the later guys, but with all the caveats you said there, you know, I watched a couple of North Carolina games. I like Daz Newsome. Is he going to, do this is he going to do that so yeah i mean and, and i see like a plus grades and i might have been inclined to put an a plus grade on, on on it based on that particular move but it is one of those things where congratulations on painting yourself out of the corner you know at great expense you painted yourself out of the corner you, you over you doubled down on mitch trubisky he was the wrong choice you tripled down you added opi etc and 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 now you you found a you found a, an exit strategy from this it cost you a ton of money so Of course, a capital is what I should say. It's costing them money anyway because they're they're paying Dalton and Foles at this point. So was it a good pick overall? Yeah. Do I kind of like Jenkins? Yeah. But you can see if you do a full resource management type of thing, it wasn't necessarily a phenomenal draft. It was just a draft that gets them out of a bad situation. And remember, this is a team that still has like playoff bona fides. So replacing their quarterback while they still have a legitimate shot saying, yes, we are a playoff team is is a pretty good move.
0: I, I was driving somewhere this weekend and listening to NFL radio, and they said, what would Ryan Pace have to do to save his job? And they said, make the playoffs. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> they already did that. Like, they made the playoffs last year. Like, making it yep. as the seventh seed again isn't going to save anybody's job, right?
1: Right. I actually think that that's the thing. This is a bigger, broader issue with the Bears. That's not about this draft necessarily. I think... Ideally, when you have the quarterback like Fields that falls and becomes available, trading up to get him is an excellent idea if you think that Fields is going to be that guy. But they're trading up every year for players. I mean, sure, sometimes you get Khalil Mack or whatever. But if you're exiting every draft with only four or five prospects and even fewer in the first few rounds, then you're going to have roster holes. And the Bears have roster holes that they couldn't fill with just two picks in those top 150, like you mentioned.
2: Right yeah and 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 you wind up spending money in unusual ways so you don't grab like the useful veteran because that money is spent elsewhere i mean robinson's franchised now why why is alan robinson franchised why isn't he on a four or five year contract maybe they couldn't get him maybe they didn't get him to sign uh, sign one now it's like oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna be working with fields but that doesn't make any sense why why couldn't you get that one thing done and they can't and that's enough money that they could use elsewhere
0: You talked about the Giants draft. I think uh, the thing that stands out to me about the later rounds of the Giants draft is that they took uh, edge rushers and edge rushers that our saxier system really likes. We really liked Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa as our big, uh, our pick for sleeper. And we really liked Aziz Ojalari, who they took in the second round. So like, that's another thing. Not only did the Giants smartly trade down and accumulate more picks, including picks next year but they took guys that our projection system
2: liked yeah that's ellerson uh, ellerson g smith you have to give him; he's like he's like a billionaire aviator from the 1940s <laughs> ellerson g smith uh from northern iowa the pride of northern iowa but yeah he looked good uh, i saw the saxio projection of him as a sleeper i think he looked good on on tape what i saw of him what i could Project from Northern Iowa up to, you know, the NFC East look good. I really like the Z's Ajalari. I think a lot of uh, other folks at Football Outsiders liked him. I think a lot of people around the uh, NFL liked him. As the all-around, as I mentioned earlier, the all-around defensive end. Oh, he's not coming off the edge wide nine. He's going to get, you know, two and a half sacks or he's going to get stoned all game. This is somebody who can drop into coverage for you. This is somebody who's going to defend the run for you. So I like those picks. And like you said, they got extra first-round picks next year. We've never seen Dave Gettleman suddenly like be the wizard of acquiring extra draft draft capital at, far from it. And, and yet those were, you know, that was good. That could help this team in the long run as they try to continue to fill their holes that were caused by their draft mistakes of the past.
0: Right. Obviously, like for every other team in the NFL, a lot depends on Daniel Jones and whether he can take a big leap forward in his third year, which I think is unlikely because most players take big leap forward in their second year, not their third. But now we have to say this now till the end of time.
1: (laughs) Josh Allen did it. Josh (laughs) Allen did it. (laughs) Take a drink. Josh
2: Allen, third year jump in drinking game. Drew Locke, take a drink. Kyler Murray, take a drink.
0: Daniel Jones, take a drink. Dwayne Haskins, not so fast. It can no, still happen. No he saved another year. Well,
2: let me put happen. my mask on first. Hold on. Okay.
0: Um, <laughs> I have a feeling Jay Molnar ninety four in the chat says bad business that he's talking about the Allen Robinson franchise tag that we were talking about, and Co the Legend asking if Robinson is more willing to stay now that Chicago has Fields. I would bet he's more willing to stay now that Chicago has Fields. Absolutely. That yeah, makes sense. I mean, we don't know if Fields is going to be good, but the hype is there. Uh, I'll tell you another draft I liked and what they did after the draft, Baltimore. I think a lot of people are really high on the Baltimore draft. Uh, They like not only the first rounders, because we talked about first rounders last Thursday night, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota, and Odafe, don't call me Jason Owe, from Penn State, the edge rusher. But people really like Ben Cleveland. That's the guard they took in the third round with one of the Kansas City picks from the uh, Orlando Brown trade. And they like uh, Tylen Wallace, who's a wide receiver they took in the fourth. And uh, I think they was, did a good job to take Sean Wade, who's a cornerback who was really, really good two years ago and was considered a possible first-round pick. And then he just had a really bad off year. But he may have been struggling with injuries. And I love the idea of the sort of post-hype sleeper. Like in fantasy football, we call that the post-hype sleeper. Like the guy who yeah. was supposed to be really good a couple years ago, and then he wasn't but you take a chance on the talent still being there. And the Ravens essentially like drafted Sean Wade as the post-hype sleeper, taking a (laughs) chance that the talent that was there a couple years ago is still there. And I think that's a great gamble in the fifth round. And then they took a safety that they signed as an undrafted free agent named Ardarius Washington, who a lot of people thought was going to be drafted. Sports Info Solutions had him as their number two safety
1: Wow. In Sports right. Info
0: Solutions Prospect Handbook, and he went undrafted, and Baltimore ended up picking him up as an undrafted free agent. So that's a really Whoa. nice addition to their secondary, along with Wade, and then uh, Brandon Stevens, who's a cornerback they took in the third round.
2: I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Scott. What do you what do you see in terms of Bateman and and, and Wallace? I guess both. So it's the second year in a row they take him two two mm-hmm. or three wide receivers. How do you see that shaking out in their offense? Mm-hmm.
1: I definitely like the Bateman pick a lot. Uh, Our own Derek Klassen film analyst kind of gave me the scoop that the offense up in Minnesota didn't have really great quarterback play, uh, kind of was an RPO heavy scheme that maybe didn't highlight what Bateman did best. So I think he's a classic player that's probably going to be more successful in the NFL in the proper scheme than he was in college. So I think that probably helped him kind of fall a little bit later where the Ravens got him. Plus, I think he's kind of the perfect complement to the to the Ravens offense where they have these field stretchers. They've got the bigger tight ends, but they didn't really have guys to work the middle of the field with the route running. That I think he's really going to fill a hole there and probably beyond just his own fantasy value, which I think he's got some chance in year one, I think could really help Lamar Jackson kind of open it up a little bit. It's a passer. Yeah. yeah. When you talk about it, a guy who was like a yak
2: guy and was like a uh, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it? A, a RPO guy. Well, yeah, if if you're at Minnesota and you're catching the slant off of the play-action pass, well, it's Lamar. Yeah. It's going to be a play-action freeze, slant, play-action freeze, you know, quick into the flatness, et cetera, and you're going to get yak from that.
1: I can see that being very, very beneficial. Yeah, slants for days.
0: Jay Molnar94 says, eventually one of these Ravens receivers is going to hit, even if they have only 30 receptions all year. And I do, I wonder... If the problems they've had with receivers are, is there a problem with the development of receivers? I mean, I know you don't want to malign the Ravens coaching staff because we all feel like it's a really good coaching staff, but maybe there's a problem developing receivers. If these receivers don't develop either, then you know you have to start asking questions, I think. But I'll, yeah. I'm going to give them a shot because everybody really liked Bateman.
2: Yeah, Hollywood, I was there 2019 for his and he was injured constantly. So I don't even know what kind of offseason Hollywood had. And I think it was her chunk of the year. And then last year was 2020. And Lord knows what kind of uh, – how, how well the coaching development went. Boykin, I, I'm not sure what the situation is there. He looked like a hero along the way. Uh, Duvernay, uh, they used him as a, re- a reverses guy. But there is a little bit of if, if you're not itch, scratching the itches along the sidelines effectively, Lamar was not doing that for big chunks of last season. It's going to take away some of the things you do at wide receiver where everything either has to be like a, a crossing route of some kind or it's a little bit up for grabs down the field. Yeah, so,
0: the numbers do know. have Baltimore throws in the middle of the field way more than any other team. And um, when I put that out on Twitter, someone came back with me that Mark, it was because of Mark Andrews, but the other teams with top tight ends do not throw in the middle of the field anywhere near as much as the Ravens do. It's much more about uh, the Ravens scheme and Lamar Jackson's talents than it is about Mm -hmm. Mark Andrews, the fact that they throw in the middle of the field so much. Jay Molnar, 94, points out that the old Ravens wide receiver coach just left and took a job with the Texans. So they have a new wide receiver coach in Baltimore this year. So.
2: Interesting. And I don't I was, was not aware Be
0: positive. Um, speaking of the AFC North, let me ask you guys about Cleveland talking to Scott and we'll get in a few minutes. We'll get to just sort of going through fantasy football. We're going to talk all about fantasy football value for all of the rookies taken in this draft, even those past the first round. But I want to ask about a specific guy. And that's Anthony Schwartz because everything I've been reading about Anthony Schwartz is all over the place. Like some people feel like he is just a gold mine waiting to happen and others that he's just nothing but a gadget player with Olympic style, straight line speed, but not Mm. field speed. So I don't even know like what kind of opportunities he's going to have in the Cleveland uh, offense, but like a lot of people really like Cleveland's drafts, but I think there's questions about some of the players that they took, including Schwartz.
1: So I sort of think of Schwartz with that that speed, as you mentioned, it's kind of like an NBA move where it's like, he's kind of stretching a defense in a way that can help all of our other players. That's probably true of Marquise Brown, to tell you the truth, even though the Ravens haven't had other players to sort of take advantage, but he could help the team, even if he's only getting 70 targets or whatever it is, a lower volume where he won't be a real fantasy asset on his own. So I could sort of see that working out. And in, in my mind, taking him in the third round, 91st pick overall, that's probably a lot healthier place to take a quote unquote role player than it would be to take, you know, Henry Ruggs kind of early in the first <laughs> round when you're more or less looking for the same thing from the guy, right? John Ross. Yeah. Yeah. That's a probably even better and more extreme example.
0: John Ross, I will point out what if playmaker scores great mistakes?
1: Hmm. He's on the Giants now. He's
2: one of the 17 guys who are going to run deep and then have to come back for Daniel Jones's pass. Uh, he's going <laughs> to run
0: deep so that Kadarius Tony can get open yes. for a one-yard bubble screen.
2: <laughs> yes
0: um the other I'm guy is for that jeremiah owusu koromoa so he finally went in the second round and he went to cleveland and i guess he had heart issues is that why he dropped yeah. in the in the second round and, and then there's questions about whether he's a tweener whether he's a safety or a linebacker i don't know i feel like there's so many of these safety linebacker uh crossover players these days you're patrick chung types uh mm-hmm. that being a tweener between safety and linebacker isn't necessarily a bad thing
2: it, it gets it gets a little purple because you will i mean i, I think Jok okay he's a linebacker i think he's a will linebacker i think he's a pass rusher that he if you if you actually try to put him in some sort of slot role against a real slot wide receiver or or, or a kelsey type tight end he's going to get burned up and down the field the same with the young man, Devon Diablo, that, that the Raiders took as their latest, like, like uh, Mike Mayock Tracy toolsy guy. But you know these guys, they are they, they play these hybrid roles in college, and you'll see him out in the slot and like, and then you'll see him rush the passer like two plays later. Like, oh my God, he's so versatile. He's a super weapon. He's a Swiss Army knife. He's the honey badger, and there's 73 honey badgers now. And you know there's one honey badger, and there's a couple of guys who can do that. So yeah, I, I think I think that was a heck of a pick. I think when he did drop, I was surprised, but at all places along the way. I said, this is a weak side linebacker. He can cover running backs, things like that. He can definitely rush the passer. But the idea that they're getting the latest, you know, iteration of the positionless, you know, Swiss Army knife, whatever, et cetera, can get a little bit purple sometimes.
0: This is another one where SIS's rookie handbook was really interesting because they had Owusu Koromoa as their number one outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. And they had Dylan Moses, number two, higher than either Micah Parsons yes. or Zayvon Collins. And Dylan Moses didn't get drafted because of his knee issues. Medicals. Which is interesting. He uh, went to Jacksonville, which for all the questions we asked on the show last Thursday night about Jacksonville drafting Etienne at the end of the first round, a lot of the rest of the draft was medical guys, but whether it was signing Moses as undrafted or the second round tackle Walker Little, who's basically not played for two years because right. he opted out last year and then he had an injury the year before.
2: Yeah, the the, the tackle was a million-star recruit coming out at about the time that uh, Urban Meyer was recruiting. <laughs> and then he had an injury year and a COVID year. And I went back and I looked, I'm, I'm going to look at his sophomore year or whatever it was, freshman year film, and it's like, he's not ready in any way. He's a big, big you know, galoot who can move a little bit. So that's what you took. Dylan Moses was a gazillion star recruit a couple of years ago. Yep. Uh, And and he had injuries and I thought he played very, very well. Uh, One of the problems this year with doing any kind of evaluations is usually that information about the medicals trickles out during the combine. This year it trickled out, you know, Thursday afternoon or whatever. Like you can't adjust to it. But, you know, I I mean, I think as an undrafted rookie, that's that's a potential hit. I love Moses. I saw him play last year so he can play. Uh, and, and that's a potential hit getting out and getting these guys because they were great when you were recruiting three years ago. I've seen this. I've seen this game before I've seen, I've seen, uh, college coaches do it before. And I'm very, you know, I'm very concerned about how the Jaguars are approaching that. Yeah. A
0: reminder, by the way, if you're watching us on Twitch right now, feel free to ask questions in the chat. We'll take uh, on any team you want to talk about, but, uh, otherwise I think we're going to switch over and have a little bit more of a fantasy focus and we're going to talk about, uh, fantasy prospects and you know scouting as well but also fantasy prospects for all the skill players taken in this draft let's start out with the quarterbacks and playing this game called when are they going to start (laughs) trevor lawrence and zach wilson right away uh justin fields when do you think he's going to start what week would you think he's going to start
1: i'll just throw out randomly like in the six to nine range, maybe whenever they're coming off the bears bye week kind of kind of era, which I don't, we don't know where that is yet, but I think it's going to be during this season, certainly, even though they have a competent passer in Andy Dalton. What do you think, Mike? Did you just call Andy Dalton a competent passer? He's, he's one of DVOA's great success stories. Aaron always tells me this when I say, why did they draft to somebody in the first round? Uh,
2: I I was, I was, it's hard. Cause I've been watching Cowboys tape. I'll be writing the football outsiders almanac chapter on the Dallas Cowboys, so I've been watching some of their tape, watching some of their film, and I don't know if I'm watching COVID Andy, or if I'm watching Concussion Andy, or if I'm just watching old Andy, but the the, the competence of, of Andy Dalton seems to be, well, you know, C.D. Lamb's open a lot, Amari Cooper's open a lot. I, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see Andy Dalton as an upgrade over, over Nick Foles in any particular way. I call them Garfunkel notes, because I think that's <laughs> what you've got at this point with these two individuals. And I would be moving heaven and earth if I'm Maggie, if I'm based, I am moving heaven and earth to get Justin Fields ready to start week one and to just like jettison either of those guys to whichever team thinks they need mentor X at this point. Cause the dueling mentors like dueling banjos thing is not going to work either. So now what, from to what you're saying, there's a chance Fields isn't ready. A B there's a chance that if everybody's in save their job mode, they make like, like we're taking our time with the new prospect. We have to really make sure we nurture the new prospect. So then if they start the season one and three, one and four, and they've got to go back to the House McCaskey clan and say, well, what happens? Like, Well, we it was a slow-developing two-year process. You've got to give us more time with the young man so you can kind of play that game. I, I'm not talking about real coaching. I'm talking about real coaching, the way these guys actually do these things to save their jobs. That's one way I can see them coming forward with, with, with starting the year with Dalton.
1: So one thing I'll say about both Fields and Trey Lance, who went number three to the 49ers, is – even though they're the ones with the perceptions that they are going to need time to develop, Mm -hmm. both of them ran it quite a lot in college. Uh, Fields 29.6% rushing ratio, Lance 38.1%. And while that that sort of seems kind of like a sort of not bad thing, but like a thing that's sort of counter to the development of a quarterback, I actually think in the modern game, that's extremely helpful because – you can make positive plays and extend drives with your legs when maybe you don't understand what's happening with the defensive scheme against you, or maybe you're not ready to go through all of your progressions or whatever it is, you can take off and run and right. that, that can work for you. And so I almost feel like even if they're not fully ready to go from a passing standpoint, maybe those are guys that can start immediately. And if that happens, obviously from a fantasy perspective, hugely valuable because the rushing yards and the rushing touchdowns are just worth more points than the, the passing yards and passing touchdowns in most leagues.
2: Yeah, and, and the Bears have 11 offensive coordinators, you
1: know, so they can
2: put together a, a, an option package mixed with a package of things that, that work. And I think Fields is, is, is reasonably far along. I don't think he's going to have a real progression problem. A little more worried about Lance, you're away from the game, what, 19 career starts, FCS, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there, again, I would we'll probably go into that, whether you think Garoppolo is going to start week one. But, you know, Kyle Shanahan can't put together a boot rollout. That's what he does. He puts together boot rollout packages – he puts baby buggy bumpers and training wheels on offenses for for all these guys. He did for Manziel, for heaven's sakes. He's done it for guys like C.J. Beathard. These guys can do this, and and exactly right. The fact that they're mobile means that oh, uh, you know, your offense isn't limited if the guy only has can only run a certain package of offensive passing plays just yet.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because we all point to Trey Lance and the lack of starts. I believe Trey Lance has started the same number of games as Mac Jones. <laughs> yep. It's just that Mac Jones has started them in the last year, and Trey Lance started them two years ago when he was younger.
1: So I'll push back on that slightly, though, because I think I've seen the stat that Trevor Lawrence threw more touchdowns in high school than Lance threw pass attempts, period. So, like, (laughs) I think from a bigger picture perspective, he really is less experienced as a quarterback. Right.
0: Right. But but he did play in a more pro style offense. Right. I mean, he was under center more. He did more of the kind of things. Like San Francisco is a team that's lower percentage of uh, of 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 shotgun. So I would think my guess is Garoppolo starts the year for San Francisco. My guess is Cam Newton starts the year for New England. Uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure Fields comes in after Chicago first has their bye week. I'm not sure when Lance and Jones start playing.
1: Yeah. For for Mac Jones, for me, I almost feel like this is just going to depend on whether Cam Newton's shoulder makes any sort of bounce back. I know it's been a couple of years since he initially suffered that injury. And last year it didn't look any better than it did the year before, but you know, shoulders are always finicky, weird things. If if he can kind of get the ball out there at all, it wouldn't stun me if he ended up starting for, for longer than all yeah. of these other uh, you know, like current incumbents. So yeah,
0: I, I agree. What quarterback should be the first one to be drafted in fantasy this year?
1: So I'm going to say it's, it's Trevor Lawrence. You obviously get the boost from the fact that he's going to be the day one starter. But another thing that I'll point out is even though he's not fields or Lance, he did run 16.9% of his plays in college, ran in 18 touchdowns and three seasons for Clemson. So I think you're kind of getting a little bit of a dual threat, maybe, you know, along the lines of some of the, the Joe Burrow types, probably even a little bit better than that. He's six foot six and 213 pounds. So really could be a little bit of a threat in the red zone, but I think that's going to help him get a little boost there. And I subscribe to maybe the not quite consensus opinion that that Lawrence could be a generational type of prospect where like maybe it's fair to actually expect an Andrew Luck type of entrance into the league where like. You know, is thirty touchdowns out of the questions this year? I, I don't think so. I think he could be a borderline top ten quarterback.
0: And they've Over got day. weapons. They've got Chark. They've got uh, Lavisca Chenault. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Marvin Jones is his <laughs> teammate. <laughs>
0: yep. They've got Marvin Jones. They've got Etienne now. James yep. Robinson. So they've got a good offense. I think you know the thing that's going to keep Jacksonville a losing team is their defense more than their offense.
1: Not their coaching. <laughs>
2: The, the defense as it like I pertains have, to the coaching.
0: Like, I have you know, no like, idea what to expect from their coaching yeah, saying the
1: that was knows just a, a whether throwaway Urban Meyer joke.
2: can coach in the NFL. Right.
0: I have no idea.
2: I, I kind of go with the Chip Kelly paradigm where it starts out phenomenal and then spends three years slowly deteriorating. And I can kind of see that happening here where it's like, you know, look, look how explosive this is, look how good our quarterback is, expect the unexpected, and then all the realities of day-to-day stuff that destroyed the Eagles. Because, like, slip in. Because you know? on on That's
0: one the- hand, there's scheme design,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
0: then there's also personality management. Yes. And dealing with the media. Yeah. And there's, like, a number of things Union. in the NFL that are different than college. Like, the scheme design is actually, like, yeah, college is – there's differences in the college game and, you know, where the hash marks are and the difference mm-hmm. between the best and worst player on the field and rushing is more important in the college game, et cetera. But – I would think that the like scheme design and, and, you know, would translate better than personality management and locker room management type stuff.
2: Right. And getting used to the fact that there's a player's union. Right. And getting used to the fact there's a salary cap and you can't just get all the five-star recruits you can possibly get. And somebody's going to tell you no. And, you know, I, I keep looking at Meyer, looking at him from a personality standpoint, his background and things I've heard from people who've, dealt with them and I, I'm stuck between that feeling that he's going to be sort of a Chip Kelly and the more he's there he, the more he's like getting on people's nerves or if he's going to be Sparrier it's like see ya it's drizzling I'm going to go play golf I'm going to stay home you know it's, it's, it's under 50 degrees I don't practice and I don't know I, I, I'm getting the idea that either of those are possibly on the table I don't see Jimmy Johnson where he's actually going to come in and change the way the NFL does business
1: so there are reasons you could you could advocate for Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, the Jets are greatly improved as well. Obviously grabbed Mekhi Becton last year, added another like offensive lineman to help protect him, has some, you know, improving skill talent uh, and also actually ran the ball more in college than even Trevor Lawrence did, 20.2% rushing ratio. Hmm. But I'm going to say the fact that he's 6'2", 214, to me, noticeably smaller, makes me have to think that the Jets are probably going to ask him to run a little bit less to keep him upright, uh, especially if maybe the Jets aren't necessarily a, Super Bowl contender in their first season. So I think that maybe his rushing success won't translate quite as well to the next level. I'm glad I I cracked up Mike there a little bit. But he may his rushing may not translate as well as the other three big prospects here, um, which obviously from a fantasy perspective means he may be a longer-term fantasy option.
0: Imagine that all five of them are starting week one. Yeah. What order would you put them in for fantasy purposes?
1: So this gets harder for me because I the more that I pay attention to football, the, the less I feel confident projecting which quarterbacks are actually going to be good at football, which is obviously important. <laughs> but I'm still going to lean Trevor Lawrence one, uh, just because of everything you read about his chances to be in a great and immediately impactful passer. Um, but if if they're all starting, I, I would probably skip over Wilson and then go Trey Lance and then Justin Fields next uh, before I hit Wilson. And I think that's the order I would go with. The 49ers have a very quarterback friendly offense, you guys have mentioned. Like Lance could just throw the ball to running backs into yeah. Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, who might as well be running backs, and mm-hmm. he could have a lot of fantasy points without actually taking on a lot of responsibility.
0: Oh, the mythical Jalen Hurd.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost like you <laughs> <laughs>
1: still here. Brandon Ayak, whoever you want it to be. They're all, they're all kind of a similar no, skill set.
2: He he's he is he's a unicorn. Uh, the yeah. hearts is like man. this, this six foot five, all purpose. I'm guessing like you, you think he's gonna be Cordero Patterson at some point. It's like oh wow, this is a a great return man who can catch a screen pass or whatever. But it's like if you take Cordero Patterson and you get you injure him a bunch of times and you take <laughs> a little bit of the talent off and you like do one more thing to him, you're you're at this mythical creature called Jalen Hurts.
0: All right. Just thanks uh, for folks who are tuning in on the Twitch stream. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the NFL draft with Scott Spratt and Mike Tanier from Football Outsiders. Uh, This is the new Football Outsiders Radio Hour every Thursday at one o'clock during the offseason, one o'clock Eastern. Let's get to the running backs. Let's talk. We'll start with Najee Harris. See, here's the thing now, because we're talking about fantasy purposes. We can get rid of the whole whether running backs matter or not debate. (laughs) They do to us. And whether you should draft them early. (laughs) Because once we're talking about fantasy purposes, they were drafted. They're on these teams. We don't have to talk about whether they should have been drafted later. Let's just talk about how good they're going to be and how much they're going to play. And we'll start with Najee Harris, because he's... He's the clear starter. He's the one running back drafted this year who clearly starts the year as the starter.
1: Yeah, I mean, from an NFL draft perspective, I think there would probably be people in the Najee Harris camp and people in the Travis Etienne camp of, like, who is the better player or better pick. But now that we know where they are from a fantasy perspective, I think it's obvious that Harris is the is the better option. Lands with the Steelers, I think pretty clearly is going to be their lead and workhorse player Benny Snell last year, negative 26.3% rushing DVOA. James Conner out of town in Arizona at this point. So I think taking over, maybe in my mind, the only running back with the chance for 250 carries in his first year here. Uh, First, he's got the size to do that, 6'1", 232 pounds. So that's probably good news for him in the red zone as well. But also important from a fantasy perspective, 11.1% receiving ratio really made strides as a receiver last year to the point where I think that's going to really sort of boost his floor because the, the thing that you're worried about is that the Steelers ranked 32nd in adjusted line yards last season, and maybe it wasn't James Conner and Benny Snell's fault that they did so badly. But hopefully Harris is going to be able to push the pile, and even if he can't to a great extent, he'll be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. And I think that's going to boost his value in fantasy, even if it's more volume and he's only carrying it for like 3.9 yards per carry.
0: To explain to people who might be new to football outsiders, adjusted line yards is a stat that separates runs at different distances to determine how well the offensive line is blocking, separate mm-hmm. to what the running backs get when they uh, break away from the line and go you know, with a really long highlight run. And yeah, the Steelers who have had a really good offensive line for a really long time, it finally has really broken down over the last few years and now Pouncey's retired and mm-hmm. Villanueva has gone and uh, in, Baltimore. in Baltimore in biggest rival there. That's good. And their line is not as good uh, as it used to be. And he's not going to get the blocking that Pittsburgh off Pittsburgh running backs used to get.
2: Also, there will be 12 defenders in the box because Ben Roethlisberger can't, cannot throw more than five <laughs> yards down the field without
1: a running start. Well, that's great. It was actually funny last five sh- yard passes. That's, that's, that's ideal for fantasy.
2: A lot of a lot of screens, yeah. A lot of opportunities for Chase Claypool and what's Deontay Johnson and everybody mm. else like that. It was funny watching the Steelers hardcore fans on Twitter come around to the reality as the year as the week went on last year. Like, how dare you? are all this is all a narrative. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we're doing great. Roethlisberger's fine. His arm's fine. Everything's fine. And then that, that, that losing streak, and it was like, oh. Like, yeah, yeah, this is what you guys got now, quarterback. But I, I look at Harris as possibly having that Saquon Barkley rookie season because I think he catches the ball almost as well as Barkley does now that he's really taking that lead forward. And yeah. whatever happens two or three years down the road, he can have that season where he's out there leaping over guys, breaking tackles, and and having big numbers for fans. Who,
0: who, who you got second for running backs in fantasy value now? Are we going to talk about Javante Williams in Denver or Travis Etienne in Jacksonville?
1: Yeah, so I may need Mike to sort of take the scout's perspective on this and tell me if I'm getting carried away, but I have Javante Williams over Travis Etienne based on landing spot. Part of this is that I just really like James Robinson. Like, I know he was an undrafted player, uh, but very successful last year and beyond even the counting stats. 19% broken tackle rate was 15th of 39 running backs with 150 or more touches. 2.58 yards after contact per attempt was 9th of 51 running backs with 100-plus carries, So to me, like he's the much more natural fit as an every down player. And I don't know what to think with Urban Meyer saying stuff like Etienne is going to be a third down back for them to start with. (laughs) Because the guy can't block by all accounts. But Javante Williams, I mean, it's not a perfectly clean situation because he's landing with the Broncos where Melvin Gordon still is. But Mm -hmm. Melvin Gordon, uh, negative DVOA as a rusher in five of his six career NFL seasons. I don't think it's quite as entrenched here, as you might expect. Plus, Philip Lindsay out of town, that's 118 carries that are vacated here. And Williams, you know, I know that Backcast didn't love the fact that he and Michael Carter split time in North Carolina. And I kind of buy into that logic a little bit that, yeah, like, usually in those situations, these players probably aren't both really great NFL prospects. But Williams checks a lot of the fantasy boxes that you want to see with the broken tackle rates, with the good size, 5'10", 212 pounds, And the 12.0% receiving ratio, that's similar to Travis Etienne. I think he can catch the ball a little bit. And even if it's not necessarily the, like, catch it and then run 60 yards to the house type of thing, just catching those passes, especially in PPR leagues, I think could be a big boost for his value. Mike, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people, I didn't personally, but I know a lot of people had Javante Williams ranked equal to or above Etienne, really love Javante Williams. I worry about both Williams and Carter because, you know, I, I sat there and watched that Miami game. Mm-hmm. And they combined for like 537 yards or something like that in the Miami game. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Was was, was Miami, were they, were they quarantined in a hotel for two weeks, you know, with no air conditioning? What, what was this? Uh, but, yeah, you know, if you t- take that out of it, it's like, well, I'm not sure how great these players e- even are. That said, yeah, I had Williams was like, he can be like a James Connor type impact guy. Not Connor we saw last year who was playing pretty poorly overall, but the guy we saw when he first came out kind of made everybody say Le'Veon Bell who – really powerful guy can catch the short passes and get some yak out of it. Like you said, not 60 yard passes, but like these rumbles where you're getting 10, 15 Mm -hmm. yards at the pop. I can see him in a one, two punch in Denver. One thing I'm going to take it back to you is do I see Michael Carter possibly at the top of the depth chart for the New York Jets
1: now? I mean, it's hard not to look at it that way. Uh, Their incumbent options are LaMichael Perrin, who was a fourth rounder last year. So not necessarily a top prospect, but Tevin Coleman coming in from San Francisco, been successful. He just got hurt.
2: You mentioned his name. He got hurt. So. Yeah,
1: I mean, really. Been successful <laughs> from a deficiency standpoint a bunch of times in his career. Never had more than 170 yar- uh, carries in a season. Uh, missed most of last year, as you said. You got Ty Johnson, the former six-rounder, has been released a couple of times. It's hard not to look at Carter as sort of the top guy here. And one thing that I'll say is that even though 199 pounds sounds very, very small for a running back, mm-hmm. uh, he's also five foot eight. So from like yeah. a BMI perspective – it's actually not that bad. 30.3 there wouldn't right. be stunning for me to see him get the like 200 touch category. Yeah. And frankly, there just aren't very many running backs that do better than that anymore. Like maybe Najee Harris can, but that's not going to prevent Carter from being a top 15 or 20, you know, fantasy option, especially given that his 13.8% receiving ratio kind of like reminiscent of a James White, you know, coming out of college, that type yeah. of workload. And Maybe he won't get pigeonholed to that same extent, given that his backfield is a little bit, you know, less crowded than maybe White got drafted into.
0: And and the Jets' offense, offensive line, they're really building a nice offensive line there with Beckton and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, mm-hmm. the guy they took in the second round this year, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's no reason why LaMichael Perrine is going to start. So unless they're going to start <laughs> Tevin right. Coleman, I, I have a feeling it would be Michael Carter as the starter, but there's probably going to be a lot of split there. So I doubt he's sure. going to be like a top 20 fantasy running can, back,
2: but you can see them being down, you know, 27 to 10 in the fourth quarter and throwing, uh, you know, eight, nine passes over the middle to their running back to late in games and getting, and just like racking up PPR for the if that's what
0: Carter winds up getting to do. The 49ers drafted two running backs, which I just scratched my head. I don't think they needed any running back because they had <laughs> Mostert, Gallman, Wilson, and Hasty, And now they drafted two more running backs. Are we going to see any of Trey Sermon or...
1: Yeah, so I think Sermon is a lot more likely to make an impact as a, as a fantasy player than Elijah Mitchell because Mitchell is sort of that classic speedy Kyle Shanahan player where there is major logjam ahead of him. But, you know, with Sermon being the bigger player, six foot, 215 pounds, maybe more the classic between the tackles type of runner, maybe Jeff Wilson is the only player in front of him on the depth chart that's like obviously in his way. So like maybe Sermon could have 125 carries this year and then like get some work at the goal line to make him an option but I think it probably makes more sense to treat him like a handcuff in fantasy than Mm. somebody that's going to like clearly be an impact guy. I'm just not sure this running back class has as many immediate impact runners as we've seen in some previous seasons.
0: And then the other guy who I know you've mentioned as a possible sleeper is uh, Mm -hmm. Kenneth Gainwell from the Eagles. What what is his deal? Fifth round pick.
1: Fifth round pick, uh, a, another player who I think size contributed to his slide in the draft. He's 201 pounds, but another five foot eight guy. So the, the BMI not quite as bad as you would expect, but 19.5 percent receiving ratio. Uh, I'm not sure if the entire class is this, but like more or less led the class in that respect. So I'm wondering if he may be a like the the type of running back that gets some work in the slot, um, and maybe it could yeah. be a PPR option, and especially landing with the Eagles, a team that's kind of taken some non traditional players of the Darren Sproles ilk and turn them into real fantasy options for you, even if it's, you know, it's a lot more catches than actual carries.
0: All right. Before we ask you about wide receivers to end the show, Kyle Pitts, tight ends, Mm. notoriously bad as rookies. Yes. Is Kyle Pitts draftable because he's the highest drafted tight end ever in the regular NFL draft? Is he fantasy worthy or is he going to have another one of these first years like...
1: So I mean he's he's absolutely draftable from a fantasy perspective, and the major reason for that is even though year one tight ends aren't good, I would say that tight ends in general aren't good for fantasy. I mean you have the odd exception of your Travis Kelsey and your George Kittle, but it's just maybe there are five guys that you can count on, but then right. beyond that, it's just a crapshoot. And so they I'm not going to take the chance. Yeah, I'm not going to be upset if you go for them, but the reason for pessimism. I mean, there's several. One, even the top drafted tight ends from recent seasons haven't done anything in the rookie years. T.J. Hawkinson, 367 yards, two touchdowns. O.J. Howard, 432 and six. Eric Ebron, North Carolina legend, 248 and one. Hmm. So, like, unless you're Gronk and you can catch 10 touchdowns on 42 catches in a season, it's not that promising. Plus, Hayden Hurst, still on the team, still had 88 targets last year. The DVOA was down versus Baltimore, but kind of in range with a lot of other guys. Like I think it's going to be a split workload there. So you can draft him as a sleeper, but like I wouldn't count on him as being a top five option at the position by any stretch.
0: All right. Wide receiver. Who do you like? Who's the best wide receiver for fantasy purposes?
1: Uh, so there are two possibilities here. I think I'll lean towards Jamar Chase uh, landing with the Bengals with this former quarterback in Joe Burrow. Um, Obviously, the top drafted guy, so that kind of leans you toward the optimism there, was ex- exceptionally productive his last season with Burrow in 2019, 17,80 yards and 20 touchdowns for that juggernaut LSU team. Um, but like the, the major question here is whether he can immediately become the number one option over Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. And you know I I'm, I'm a little bit cautious there because if you look at their full season efficiency numbers, Boyd negative 6.2% receiving DVOA, Higgins, Uh, 3.9%. But if you isolate to just when Joe Burrow was healthy, those numbers jump up to 6.2% and Mm 12.7%. So I actually kind of like this whole group. And so if you like made me power rank it from a fantasy perspective, I would lean more on Burrow to take advantage of all of that. But I can't get away from the fact that AJ Green is vacating 104 targets. And I think that probably gives him a chance, even if it actually will be three receivers making an impact here. And then... The other guy that I think is in the mix is actually Devontae Smith, not his former teammate, Jalen Waddell, because I think Smith landed in a better spot for a fantasy perspective with the Eagles. And, you know, it's not great that Jalen Hurts runs the ball so much. Um, I think it's probably unlikely to be a high volume passing offense with him at quarterback, but Travis Fulgham is the only returning Eagles wide receiver that did better than negative 10% receiving DVOA last year. (laughs) And that includes Jalen Rager, their last year's top pick. Like they didn't draft Justin Jefferson, so now Smith is the guy. That, that's kind of how I see it. What do you think, Mike?
2: I, I, I tend to agree there. I mean, I am kind of worried about the entire Eagles offense. Mm. I don't know what's going to come out of that. And I look at, as much as I like these wide receivers, I look at them and I get so nervous from a fantasy standpoint. It's like, okay, I think Devontae Smith is going to be the number one guy. What if this entire offense falls apart? I don't think he's going to be somebody. I think he's going to be like a wide receiver, three wide receiver, four. Yeah. And and I agree with everything you said about, uh, about uh, Jamar Chase. You wind up having a very productive season as part of why I, a group, a committee, etc. So, I I actually look at Bateman to a degree. Not that somebody I okay. would take as a starter, but as somebody who'd be like, yeah, what if he's a guy who's doing you know six fifty one and helps me in PPR? I actually look at. I don't think Kadarius Tony is going to do a lot fantasy wise, but it's like, what if this is a guy that is catching a bunch of over underneath passes and running the ball three or sure. four times a game in, in, in different things? So I don't think that there are players in Devontae Smith's class. I don't think there are players in Waddle's class, but they are guys who could turn around and, because of the way their offenses are structured, wind up having you know bigger seasons statistically. Waddle yeah, has I a lot more
0: competition. Waddle has a lot more competition for targets because there's still Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Preston yeah. Williams, and Mike Iseki.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot there, and I don't know how their offense is going to look. I don't know how that's going to be structured there in Miami as well. I'd be I'm be more comfortable with two. To it going forward than I am with Hertz going forward. But there's still a possibility there that that's a team that's spreading the ball about and running the ball a lot more. They got Kareem Hunt now. And that could be one of their emphasis is to try and be more run oriented.
1: Yeah. Fuller is is with Miami for just a one year deal. So this this may be a situation where Waddle is going to come along a little bit more slowly. Yeah. um, But then from a dynasty perspective, may end up being more valuable than, say, Smith could be. But year one, I don't know. I don't love it. And, I, and they're all real good from dynasty.
2: I think that's a different no, situation altogether.
1: Absolutely. These receivers all shoot to the top of the board from a dynasty perspective when from a, a redraft perspective looking just at 2021, I'm not necessarily in love with any of them, and I would probably rather grab, especially Najee Harris, but maybe a running back or two.
0: Yeah. Uh, which do you think of? We talked about some of these other wide receivers, Elijah Moore, Terrace Mitchell, uh, yeah. Rondale Moore, uh, Mari <laughs> to- Rogers.
1: A lot of these players to me have a chance to have value, but there's a contingency. So like with Elijah Moore for the Jets, I think his value is contingent on the Jets releasing slot receiver Jamison Crowder, which could happen because it would save them $10 million in cap space. But Crowder led the team with 7.4 targets per game last season and probably butts up against where, where Moore would play in the slot. Um, but possibility there, Um with, with uh, Amari Rogers with the Packers, obviously, that's going to be contention on whether Aaron Rodgers is back with the Packers. But if that does happen, I mean, you have to be excited, right? I mean, he's basically and, Randall Cobb come again. This is, this is one of the bigger complaints that Aaron Rodgers has had about the team, kind of neglecting a spot that they finally filled now that Aaron demands to be traded. Aaron
2: Rodgers, we got you Amari Rogers, exactly what you wanted, and we even had it engraved for you <laughs> with your name. Um, and, and the, uh, the other more I get the Moores mixed up, the, the one now. that got, went to Arizona, mm-hmm. the, yes. the, 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 the littler guy from Purdue. Rondale Moore from Purdue. Yes. yes. He's another one that it's like, well, what if Kingsbury really opens up this offense with these 3 million little screens and bubble screens and tunnel screens? You can wind up getting a lot of touches, targets. Yeah, it's underneath stuff. But if that's where you're getting your fantasy value... And it's like, oh, yeah, he had seven for 50 because they're just feeding him screen passes and they're running reverses, shovels and things like that. He is a real fun guy to watch. I like him as a number two or three when you already have Nuke there taking care of business. And I think he could be an interesting producer as well.
1: The contingency there is, is Larry Fitzgerald going to retire, right? Because that's that's 72 targets in the balance and a guy that sort of migrated to the slot as he's gotten older. That could be a little bit of a, a playing time conundrum there. Yeah, He's not
2: good no more. Speaking
0: he, of he slot,
1: don't
0: play with um, M. <laughs> Ross St. Brown, I think, mm. in a deeper league that does PPR, he could be a guy mm-hmm. for Detroit. Because he basically goes right into the starting slot receiver yes. position. Their, their wide receiver uh, depth chart is sucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's barren. And, and I'm going to – like this is a, a reckless thing to do because they're not quite – you know, the same player, but Cooper Cup, 62 catches, 869 yards and five touchdowns in his rookie season, which was Jared Goff's breakout 2017 season as a second year player. Uh, Slot receivers can often slip further in the draft because they're, you know, they can't do everything you would want from a receiver from an NFL perspective. But sometimes those are the players that make the more immediate impact as rookies. So -hmm. from a fantasy perspective, I can absolutely see him as being a viable sleeper. And sometimes you discover that they were slot receivers in college because they were worried about the
2: quarterback being able to get to throw the ball to the boundaries. So they would just put speed guys out there. And this was a, a more multifaceted person that they could get the ball to by keeping him near the hash.
1: Yeah. And, and St. Brown probably is potentially more versatile than just a stick him in the slot guy like Cup right. might be. But yeah. with, you know, Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman are like obviously outside receivers. Right. So that, that may be the developmental path, which could be good for fantasy.
2: They're seriously talking about those names as the Lions receivers coming out of a draft with
1: this many receivers. Unbelievable. I still Unbelievable. can't hey.
0: believe we're talking about the name Amon Ross St. Brown as a name of a human being. So,
1: <laughs> so that, that's Equinemius' brother. That's I don't Equinemius know if yes. that. His brother, and yes. their father and Osiris, was Mr. Universe. The, uh, so you brother that.
0: didn't make it to the NFL. Yes,
2: yes, Osiris.
0: All right, let's wrap it up. This has been the Football Outsiders Radio Hour. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Twitch. Again, I'm going to remind you, uh, the Football Outsiders Radio Hour, not on the radio, not exactly an hour, (laughs) here on Twitch. (laughs) Every Thursday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, 10 o'clock Pacific, your chance to, uh, to ask us questions in the chat. Cochlea likes to thank Scott for making use of John Oliver's white void during the week.
1: Is that my background situation? Here I am doing my show for this black boy. This is is, uh, my my very high decorating budget. So just that way here.
0: John wasn't using it. So you borrowed it for the week. Mike and I have books in the background. You're John Oliver's black boy.
1: One of you needs to teach me how to use the, like, digital Zoom background so I can act like I'm somewhere interesting other than my dining room oh, right now. Oh, we
2: totally know how to do that. This, this show started with us all muted. So we have a yeah, <laughs> background up on Zoom.
1: That, that concludes this episode of Old Men Using Social Media. Join
0: us next week when we have a better idea of how to use Twitch. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for tuning in. And we'll see you next Thursday for the Football Outsiders Radio Hour.